And he did a great job today too, didn't he? Sure. I'll take a hug. (laughs) Good morning, church. How are we today? Good. Good to hear it. I'm glad. So welcome to North County Christ the King. We have been in this series called Called to Action. And uh, I'm keeping it going today with that. And uh, for the last couple of weeks, we have heard some testimonies from some local sports figures. And uh, it's been really cool to hear different stories from people like that. And so I thought I would follow suit and tell some of my own sports stories of my involvement in sports. And people always laugh when I talk about doing sports. I don't know why. I mean, like, <laughs> it's, yeah, the, are these, were these sporty shoes? I don't know. So I grew up here in Linden. Who all are natives here? And as part of growing up here, I went through the Linden Youth Sports Program. Anybody else? Go and see the hands for Linden Youth Sports. Yeah, some of my most fondest memories uh, being part of LYS. It's been a lot of fun. In fact, to prove to you, um, I, I have compiled for you some of my favorite pictures. Because evidently I can't preach to you guys without showing embarrassing pictures of myself. So this is, yeah, there I am. And this, this was a great year because uh, this was the year I was on the team with the Alexander Twins, with Dante and Dominic. Yeah, and they were really good, so we won everything. It was great. And then next, what's next? Oh, yeah, basketball. Yeah, still sporting my Ed McMahon glasses. It was really good. That's all they made back then. There were no other ones. And then this one here is a bonus for you. So this is actually, yeah. Because I trust you guys, and, and we're so close, I thought I'd tell you and show you this. This is when I, tried out, I went out for track freshman year, and I came late. And I went to pick up my uniform, and they were out of my size. So I got to wear this sweatsuit that was too tight, and it was really uncomfortable. And I've just always been embarrassed in this picture. So why not show it, right? (laughs) Oh, man. I really trust you guys. I really do, because I can be vulnerable with you like that. So this was my, that was my upbringing, and it was a lot of fun, but everything changed in seventh grade. You can, oh my gosh, please, please take, there we go. Seventh grade, everything changed because now all of a sudden I could join the school team. I could try out for the school basketball team, and I loved basketball. Thanks for that. (laughs) Thank you, Joshua. I loved basketball, so I thought, you know, I'm going to try out for that team. And so I showed up for the first of two days of tryouts, and I made it halfway through the day, and I went home. Because I was no good, and I was tired, and I thought I was going to barf. And then I felt horrible about myself, so I went back the next day, and I completed the whole day. So then I felt good about myself. Yeah, thank you. And uh, there, was, there was part of me. There was just a little part of me that thought, you know, I've got a fighting chance. I've got a fighting chance of making that team, because I really want it. But my better judgment told me, there's no way you are making that team. I was slow, and there was just no way. And I remember sitting, oh, hey, guys. Hey. Um, I remember, sorry, just got distracted. I remember sitting on the side of my bed, letter in hand from the coaches, and I opened it up and read the coaches' words, thank you so much for your time. Unfortunately, we're not going to be putting you on the team. Oh. And I sobbed. I cried so hard, and I was just broken. In the back of my head, I was even thinking to myself, why are you so sad? You knew you weren't going to make it. It's not like you're surprised. Why are we so upset here? But guys, I was so broken over that because of this, because I loved basketball. I loved it. Now, I didn't play it very well, clearly, but it was my, 
what I did in my free time. I loved to learn about basketball. I loved to know the history about basketball. I loved to know, you know, who were the up-and-coming rookies, who was on what team. I would sit down with my colored pencils and, yeah, and draw all the logos and just do art with it. And then I would put those in my collection of basketball cards. Anybody else card collectors? A little tip, they are not worth thousands of dollars. I was convinced I was going to buy my first car with my Michael Jordan card. No. But that was, it was in a sense, it was my identity because it's what I loved. It's what I loved to spend my time doing. And then to be told, you know, you can't cut it with something that you really like. That was a hard pill to swallow. And that was why I was so upset because it was hard to hear that. I loved it. And all of a sudden, in one moment, I just started realizing, hmm, I'm not cut out for sports. And that was sad for me. And I know, in hindsight, I know it all came down to the fact that I've got a lack of aggression. I am not an aggressive person. And if you know me, you know I'm not aggressive. I'm a lot of fun, but I am not aggressive. And so I ran into problems with that too in freshman year and eighth grade year when I went up for the football team. And there were no cuts in the football team. So, so I, I made it, right, Blake? And, and I was there. <laughs> but to hear, like, okay, lineman, because I was a lineman, because I was, I was bigger. Um, you know, you got to get low. And the lower you get, the better. And you got to drive your shoulder to the guy in front of you and push him back and dig your feet in. And all the while, I'm sitting there thinking, like, cool, is there a nicer way we could do this? <laughs> you know, maybe if you let me talk to the other guys... Maybe they'll let us get a point. Just give me a shot. Yeah. That's, where, that's what I like to do. But no aggression. Not, not aggressive. Just not an aggressive person. So sports just did, was not my thing. And that's when I started realizing, boy, this isn't my thing. But don't feel bad. Don't worry. Because that summer before eighth grade is when I bought my first guitar. Yeah. So that story ends well, right? But I bought my first guitar and I found my passion. I found my calling. I found what I loved. And I poured myself into that. And I poured myself into classic rock and grunge. And I learned guitar and played all the time. And my grades suffered. And it was, that's bad. Don't do that, kids. Don't do that. But I poured myself into it. And I found a place to belong. And I found a place to belong in the body of Christ. And I'm really thankful that God has opened doors for me with that. And it's why I'm here right? And I'm very thankful for that. Now, I'd be lying, though, if I said that my personality makeup never bothered me. I've struggled with it before. I think we all have in different ways, but I have struggled feeling like, boy, you know what the church really needs? The church really just needs more like driven, fiery leaders who are going to fight for what's right. And I don't identify with that. And so it leads me wondering sometimes, and I still wonder, you know, like, boy, how do I fit into the body of Christ then? And I walk away from learning all the Bible stories that we go through. You know, David slaying Goliath, Joshua leading the, the Israelite army and wiping out nations, and uh, Paul arguing with the Sanhedrin, standing up for the gospel, and Jesus, you know, arguing with the Pharisees and pushing back and rebuking them. So much fighting. And I look at that and I, I walk away and sometimes I struggle with feeling like, okay, I, I understand that. I know what I'm supposed to learn, but what, what's my next step? What do I do with that? Am I supposed to be more violent? Am I supposed to get angry? 
because that doesn't really work with me. But I've struggled with that because the culture back then and the culture now, you know, oftentimes our culture values warriors, and fighters, and the tough ones. And that's not me. And so sometimes it leaves you wondering, gosh, what, do I, what am I supposed to do then? And maybe that's you too. In fact, I would venture to guess that most of us have probably walked through some degree of that. You know, what can I do for the body? Why would God need me? You know, I'm not a pastor. I'm a carpenter. Or I'm a plumber. Or I'm a teacher. Or I'm a kid. Or I've been divorced. Or I've been in prison. There's all sorts of wide array of things that we can bring as excuses that can lead us to start thinking, why would God want to use me? But today, because I have the microphone, I am going to tell you that that thinking is wrong. And I'm excited to walk us through a section of scripture to show us that that thinking is incorrect, but that in fact God wants to use you and he's waiting to do so. It's easy to start thinking when you think like that, that, you know, all the work of the ministry is more for the pastors. You know, I'm, I'm not working at a church, so I'll just, I'll do my thing, I'll run my business, I'll, I'll work my jobs, and, you know, Pastor Kurt will, you know, do, the, do God's work. But God wants to do his work through you. It says in 1 Peter, you are not like that, you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. The truth is that God has outfitted every one of us for a vital, important function in the body of Christ. He says that we are his masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the things that he planned for us long ago. So good morning. Welcome to North County Christ the King. If you're sitting here feeling useless, if you're at church because you feel like that's what you're supposed to do, but you don't know how to apply it, then we're going to dive into Exodus 31 today. And we're going to learn that God wants to use you now and today. And we're going to learn about this guy named Bezalel. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to chapter 31 of Exodus. And before we get into this, though, I want us to understand a little bit of background on what we call, what is called the tabernacle. You may have read about the tabernacle before. Um, And I found this great video from an organization called the Bible Project. Anybody ever watch the Bible Project videos? Aren't those great? I love to watch the videos before I go into a book of the Bible. They're like five minutes or something. But it explains what the book's about, who wrote it, why it's there, and a lot of the terminology that doesn't translate well to English. Uh, So it's fantastic. We watch it with our kids sometimes. It's a lot of fun. But this one is about the second half of Exodus. So turn your eyes up here. It worked. Nope. That one was free. <laughs> so int- does that make sense, what the tabernacle is and why we need it? Now, it's interesting, too. So it's important to know Jesus is not only in the, Old Test- or the New Testament. There are prophecies and pointings to Jesus all throughout the Old Testament as well. And the tabernacle is very important in that as well. So what's interesting to know is those, the the only ones that were allowed to work in the tabernacle and then later in the temple were those who were from the tribe of Levi. So the Levites, they were the ones that were to be the priests. They did the work in the temple and the tabernacle was a tent. So they tore it down. They set it up. They were in charge of that. 
However, what's interesting to note is that God calls this guy Bezalel to build the thing. And he's not from the tribe of Levi. He is from the tribe of Judah. And if you know, Judah is the line that Jesus comes from. It's really interesting that God kind of goes outside of the form and chooses somebody from that tribe. And then later, when they are going through the desert, anytime that they would set up camp and God would make them stop, the tabernacle was always in a, uh, set up in a certain way with its entrance facing east, and all of the tribes were organized specifically around it. And the tribe of Judah was on the east at the entrance. And so in order to get into the tabernacle, into the presence of God, you had to go through Judah, or the, the side. And it's interesting that Jesus then, in John 10, calls himself the gate, the entrance. He says, yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. Isn't that cool? I just love these parallels and seeing how God was hinting and pointing at salvation and at Jesus all along. And it's good to know that, you know, where, whereas the tabernacle was where God's presence dwelled on the earth, now Jesus is where God's presence is. And he's in us. God's presence now lives in us. Fascinating, huh? So, all of a sudden now we get to this place and we are starting our scripture today in Exodus 31, uh, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Look, I have specifically chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, grandson of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. I have filled him with the Spirit of God, giving him great wisdom, ability, and expertise in all kinds of crafts. He's a master craftsman, expert in working with gold, silver, and bronze. He's skilled in engraving and mounting gemstones and carving wood. He is a master at every craft. And I have personally appointed Aholiab, son of that guy, of the tribe of Dan, to be his assistant. Moreover, I have given him special, given special skill to all of the gifted craftsmen so that they can make all the things I have commanded you to make. Then he goes through the list of all the things. You can read that on your own time. And then at the end of verse 11, he says, The craftsmen must make everything as I have commanded. Now, if we go back up to verse 1 for a minute, the Lord says, Look, I have specifically chosen Bezalel, son of, of Uri, grandson of Herod, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, giving him great wisdom, ability, and expertise in all kinds of crafts. Then God says, He is a master craftsman, expert in working with gold, silver, and bronze. So I think it's important for us to see that God is saying two different things here. So he's giving Moses instruction. And what he's doing, he's saying, I have filled Bezalel with my spirit and given him power to do the things that I want him to for my kingdom. And Bezalel is a skilled guy at doing these things. So in a sense, he's saying, I'm taking this guy who I created to be good and gifted at this stuff. And now I'm filling him with my spirit to do my work. Does that make sense? And it's important to see that because he does the same thing with us. And we are all specifically created with certain gifts and abilities and talents. And God wants to fill us with his Holy Spirit when we come to Jesus so that we can then use what he's wired us to do for his kingdom. And that's your first blank. We are called for service. As God both gifted Bezalel and filled him, he gifts us and he fills us. And we're filled when we come to Jesus and, and accept his, his salvation into our lives. And I just thought this would be a great analogy because why not? But it's like this guitar. Life's like a guitar. So this is my 1999 Gibson Les Paul Standard. 
I bought this brand new. It came in the mail to me on my 18th birthday, which was kind of cool. But this is an iconic guitar. You have heard these sorts of things on thousands of recordings with thousands of musicians from any sort of music from jazz to rock to country to metal. It is a fantastic instrument. And if I sit here and I strum it, it just it feels good. And it resonates nicely and all the, the switches work as, as they're supposed to. It's just it's a quality, expensive, nice guitar. But as you can tell, I can't really be in a band without an amp, right? So I'd like to also introduce you to my battery-powered Dan Electro guitar amp. Now I can play and make some sound. It makes sound, but it doesn't sound all too good, does it? It doesn't sound very good at all. So it does the trick. I have this for at home so I can play in one of the rooms without blowing my family away, right? But it doesn't really help me in being part of a band or playing anywhere that, you know, playing worship. It doesn't help me lead worship because it's just, it's kind of quiet. So I need something a little louder. Enter. This. This is the church's Vox AC30. Another iconic instrument. Love it. You've heard this thing on thousands of recordings as well, from the Beatles to Edge from U2 to Brian May from Queen. And it's just a, it's a great amp. It sounds really good. And now when I plug into this, ah, and if you don't know guitar, that sounds much better. <laughs> it's louder. And now I can be in a band, right? I can play. I can drown my own mic out. A good it's good right so here's the kicker this guitar is always doing what it's supposed to be doing it's wired a certain way and when i do this these things make sound and it shoots it out the cable that's the less scientific way of, of saying what happens with an electric guitar but it's always doing its thing right but until i plug into a good source to a powerful source it's not really going to be serving anybody very well it'll work but it's going to be a lot more effective going through this guy. And it's the same thing. If you're scared, I'll turn it off now. <clears throat> same thing with you. Same thing with all of us. We have been wired specifically. We've been created specifically by God to do things that only you can do. And you can do things all on your own power and you can get so far. But until we plug into the right source, until we plug into God, until we're working with his Holy Spirit flowing through us, we're not going to be doing much of lasting eternal value. And there are a lot of people that we all see uh, who aren't believers or people who use their talents and giftings for the wrong reasons. And they get, you can get far, you can get rich, you can get famous off of that, but there isn't a whole lot of eternal value happening in there, right? Once we plug into the source of God, once we allow the Holy Spirit to fill us, then we can work for his kingdom. And the Holy Spirit can work through us and do the things that he intends for us to do. Does that make sense? So we are wired for service. Moving on to scripture, we're going to look at verse 6. Verse 6, God continuing to talk to Moses, he says, I have personally appointed Aholiab, son of Ahissamach of the tribe of Dan, to be his assistant. Moreover, I have given special skill to all of the gifted craftsmen 
so that they can make the things I have commanded you to make. So God finds this guy, Aholiab, and appoints him to be Bezalel's assistant. And moreover, we find out that there are a bunch of other skilled craftsmen just waiting in the background, waiting and ready to be used. And God says he has set them there. And it's, God knew that the tabernacle was a big job. Like it said in the video, or like if you've read it, there's seven chapters of extreme detail on exactly how God wanted it made. And he knew it was a big job, and he didn't intend for Bezalel to do it on his own. Instead, he surrounded Bezalel with community. He brought a Holiab, and he brought these other craftsmen as well. And again, it parallels how God works with us today, how we can come under his leadership, because he knows that life is a big job, and he doesn't expect any of us to do it alone. But he surrounds us with community. He surrounds us with others. And that's your next blank. We are called to community. We need each other. Ecclesiastes 4 says, A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. We need each other. The great philosopher John Bon Jovi said, No man is an island. You're welcome. We need each other. We need each other. I need you. I can't point at every one of you, but I mean every one of you. I need you, and you need me. God created us to need each other. We need to work together. And that might take a different form for all of us. It's going to look different. It might be that someone is called to come and help you. You know, maybe there's a project that God has put on your, uh, on your heart that you want to do and somebody's going to be called to help you. Or maybe you're called to help someone else in their mission. You know, maybe you're called to be a Bezalel. Maybe you're called to be an Aholiab. Either are fine. Either are very needed. Maybe you're called to a, start a small group. Maybe you're called to attend a class. There's a lot of them that are, that are going on and going to be uh, opening up this fall here as well. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 12. He says, yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not a hand, that, does, that doesn't make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, oh, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? And you'd look really weird. Or if your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts. And God has put each part just where he wants it. So we must, we must submit ourselves to community for his sake and for our sake, for his kingdom. And it's a reason that this right here, that church attendance is very important. It's important that we're here. It's a reason we spend so much time and effort on putting classes and Bible studies and different groups and ministries together and supporting those for for all of us. It's because it's important. Hebrews tells us, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. We need each other. Proverbs says in chapter 27, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. Uh, Personally, a couple years ago, uh, I started a small group with some guys, and uh, we read books together, we very slowly go through studies together, but really we just hang out and we share life together. 
And we're open with each other on all sorts of things. And I can personally attest, uh, in the last uh, 10 months of my life, uh, I've really experienced a lot of healing in my life lately. It's been amazing what the Lord has done in my life, healing me from fear uh, and anxiety. And I've been, walk, been able to walk in a new freedom that I haven't experienced before. And a huge, huge part of that have been my guys. The fact that we have, you know, we spent time together. It took time. But we have created a non-judgmental place where we can openly share and ask for help or, or share successes. You know, if I'm having a bad day, you know, I can call one of them and say, man, my head's in a bad place today, you guys. Or I can shoot off a text. We're just, we're talking, we're, we're praying for each other constantly. It's not just the weekly thing that we meet to. <clears throat> and it's because of this non-judgmental openness and this ability to share openly with what I can't figure out, what I'm struggling to get through, that I have been able to walk in freedom through Jesus. And Jesus has worked in that and used that. Thank you. And maybe you don't have that. But you need that. You need that. You need that. You need that community. Sometimes it's hard to get into that. I understand. But it's important. You've got to have something. You can't do this alone. And like I said, that can look all sorts of different ways. Maybe start a small group. Like Kurt's often saying, find some people that you like and hang out. And maybe go through you know, the sermon notes. Go through a book. Join a Bible study. Join a class. Join a ministry. You know, the worship team, we don't just get together right before service and play a few songs. We get together at 7 o'clock every Sunday morning, and we share before we practice. We pray for each other. Sometimes it's quick. Sometimes it's really deep. But we are a community, and we need each other. I need you, and you need me. Finally, the last thing I want to point us to, we can see in two verses, in verse 6 and verse 11. In verse 6, God says, Moreover, I have given special skill to all the gifted craftsmen so that they can make the things as I have commanded you to make. And then in the second half of verse 11, he says, The craftsmen must make everything as I have commanded you. So remember, <clears throat> God gave very detailed instructions, right? Seven chapters worth of detailed instructions on how to make this tabernacle. God did not say, Moses, go find as many blankets and couch cushions as you can and just run amok. God was very specific, though that would have been fun. God was very specific on how he wanted it built. And in order for Bezalel to serve God, he had to submit. And that's our last blank, submission. We are called to submission. In order for this plan to happen, the craftsmen had to submit to Bezalel and Aholiab's leadership. And they had to submit to Moses' leadership. And Moses and all of them had to submit to God. There's a whole lot of submitting going on. All the submits. And here's one thing I know. I know every craftsman, whether it's music or building houses, everyone that I know has a certain way they like doing things. And it's not because of arrogance, it's not because they're mean people, but it's because they have achieved a certain level of proficiency by a certain road. 
and they've learned from their mistakes, and they've learned from good things that have happened, and they've developed a pattern that they like to stick to, and that's their way. And, and it's not even just craftsmen, it's all of us, right? We all like to do things our way. I like my coffee made a certain way. I'll drink most types of coffee, but if I had my way, I have a certain way of doing it, right? Now, when that's fine when it's just you, but when we're trying to serve someone, that's when we need to lay down our own preferences and submit to whoever we're trying to serve. It's like Bezalel had to submit to God. Uh, sometimes I get to track guitars for friends or for some other people. I've had a few times over the last few years where a friend will call me up and say, hey, I'm doing this song. I'd love for you to play some guitar on it. And it's a lot of fun because I have to lay down my own preferences and play what they want. And I have to struggle to try to find out what they're looking for. Uh, my friend Aaron Dixon, used to be pastor at Grace Church in Bellingham, was recording. And he called me up one day and said, hey, I'd love you to track some guitar for this one song. And so I listened to it and I, I, I got some ideas and then I showed up with a guitar and an amp and all my pedals and all, these, all this gear. And then I submitted to him. We didn't use any of my gear. and We plugged the guitar straight into the computer, which really made me uncomfortable. And if you're a guitar player, you know why. And I just, we just played. And then he described some John Mayer licks that he was thinking. And then we talked about this one solo from a, an All Sons and Daughters track. It's a beautiful song. And he was just thinking, you know, is there something that we can make with this sort of vibe? And so I played for a while, and we just tried things out. And then we found stuff that worked, and we played it over and over and over again until we got it to a place that he was happy. In order for me to serve my friend, I had to not play the way I want to, but I had to listen to, with what, to what he wanted as he communicated to me. In order to serve, we have to submit. And Jesus talked about this in Matthew 16. Then Jesus says to his disciples, If any of you want to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. In order to serve Jesus, we need to lay down our own preferences and our ideas and take up his. We can't serve him doing only what we want to do. We can't make up our own beliefs. We can't twist and contort scripture into what we would hope it would mean. But we have to lay down what he says because we know it's best. We know he loves us. And so that's the story of Bezalel. We are called to service, to serve God's community. We are called to community. We're called to be with each other. And we're called to submit our ways to his. I just keep driving this home again, trying to, all morning here. But you have a specific plan. You have a specific design. God has designed you for a specific function in his body that nobody else can do, but only you can. Just like Bezalel. He wasn't a warrior. He was an artist. But it didn't matter. And it doesn't matter if you're a pastor or a plumber, a school teacher or a lawyer, an investment banker or a contractor, or a stay-at-home parent or a student or a child. It doesn't matter. God knows the depths of you. And God has destined you for great things in his kingdom. And it's important to remember that what you do isn't necessarily who you are. 
catch that. What you do isn't really who you are. Your, your profession, your job, it's not who you are. If you're, if you're a plumber, your service in the body of Christ is not relegated to putting in drain lines and toilets and sinks. You can do that. That's great and helpful when needed. But ultimately, what you bring is you. You bring you. You bring your expertise. You bring your story. You bring your listening ear. You bring that pat on the back that only you can give. You bring your story. You bring who you are to what it is that you get involved in. So get involved. Do something. Do something with what God has given us. You know, like Becky said last week, do the thing. Do the thing. What's burning in your heart? What has God put in your head that you just are passionate about? Do it. Get at it. God's with you. He wants you to. And if you're just stuck, if you have no idea how to start, that's why we're here. If talk with me, talk with Kurt, talk with Becky, talk with Ramona, who's somewhere around here. But we're here to help you because we want to help you enter into what God has for you. Uh, a couple of great places to start would be our shape class, which is coming up on September 15. It's a great class that asks a lot of questions and helps you determine, you know, what are your gifts and passions? And then can help point you into what you might want to get involved with or you, what you might want to do with what God's given you. Uh, another great place to start is Mark Warren over there. Mark, would you wave? He didn't know I was going to do that. Mark's a calling coach. Um, he has taught a lot of our classes here, and he has a great knack for listening to you and guiding you through figuring out what you're good at and pointing you. And then I would also recommend this book. Uh, it's called Strength Finders 2.0, and it's a test. And a test can tell you a lot of great stuff, but uh, they have boiled skills down to like 30-some, 30 32 or 34 different gifts that most people have. And then you take a test and they tell you what your top five are and your bottom five. And knowing that can help you understand, you know, what not to get involved in, you know, to help you know if you should or shouldn't get involved in children's ministry. Or like my top one is communication, shocker. Um, if, it was, if that was on the bottom, I wouldn't be up here, nor, nor would you want me up here. But it's a great test. There's lots of tests. There's books. There are gift inventories. There's a lot of places that you could start, and we would love to help you with that. But just remember, a test can tell you some things, but it can't tell you everything. Jesus can. And so above all else, I would just encourage all of us as we close today, I would encourage us to start making the habit of asking Jesus. I want to invite the worship team up here. But ask Jesus. He knows you. He knows your depths. He knit you together in your mother's womb. Ask him what he has designed you for. Why be an observer when Jesus is ready to use you now? I want to close with this verse in 1 Corinthians. Where Paul said, Instead, God chose the things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. Let's give ourselves over to him in service. Let's close in worship.